We're happy to make podcasts available for selected ed webinars for your listening pleasure. If you'd like to receive a CE certificate, you must watch the video recording. Recordings and quizzes can be found in the EdWebinar archives. Please visit home.edweb.net slash podcasts for more information. Hello, everyone. I would like to officially welcome you to our webinar, Decreasing Absenteeism and Its Effects with Meaningful Strategies. Thank you all so much for joining us um, for what I'm sure is going to be a fantastic panel. My name is Nicole. I'm a Senior Account Director at Panorama Education, and I have the pleasure of supporting schools and districts across the country um, like the panelists that you'll hear from today. I'd like to start by introducing our first panelist, Aspen Florence. Aspen, take it away. Yeah, hello. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I am Aspen Florence, and I work for the State Board of Education in the area of attendance, as well as consultant educationally. So super excited to be here. Awesome. And I'll turn it over to Brian. Hi, uh, my name is Brian Marks. I'm the Senior Director of Opportunity Youth with Boston Public Schools, and along with work around students experiencing homelessness, as well as youth leadership and mentorship, a big focus of my work is attendance improvement, and I'm glad to be here. Thank you. And Cecilia. Hello, everyone. Cecilia Leong, Vice President of Programs for Attendance Works. It's a pleasure to join you here today. So here's a little bit about how we will spend the next hour together. Uh, we are going to learn and hear from all of our panelists, uh, first from the Utah State Board of Education, then Boston Public Schools, uh, then our wonderful colleagues at Attendance Works. Uh, we will hear their stories. We will hear what they are doing to address absenteeism in their communities. And our hope is that um, our listeners will leave with actionable strategies that you can use in your communities. Now, I have to recognize that in many cases, this is still a work in progress. Um, and so we are all learning together. As I mentioned earlier, we will have a few minutes at the end for your questions uh, before we wrap up with next steps. Before I get into Panorama's approach to addressing chronic absenteeism, I'd like to just give you a brief introduction to who we are um, and a little bit more about our organization. At Panorama, one of our fundamental beliefs um, is that every student matters. Our organization's founders started this work as students themselves, picturing a world where school improvement would be driven by educators knowing every student's name, their unique story, their strengths, and their needs. Today, Panorama has over 10 years of experience helping schools and districts engage in what we think of as student-first, data-driven decision-making. The Panorama platform is a connected suite of tools that helps districts implement and embed systems of support to improve student outcomes across academics and well-being. Districts use our student, staff, and family surveys to improve school climate and social-emotional learning, our behavior analytics to track and gain insight into behavior incidents, and our student success platform to support MTSS practices. Our wonderful presenters today all partner with us to support students in Utah, in Boston, and beyond all across the country, and it is our pleasure to bring you their voices today. 
so that we are all working from the same information, here's what we mean by chronically absent. A student who misses 10% or more of days of school is considered chronically absent for the purposes of our conversation today. We'll refer to this throughout the presentation today. And so again, we just wanna make sure that everyone is on the same page. A couple other data points that I wanna share with everyone. Um, a report released about a month ago, actually not even, yeah, about a month ago, found that nearly 14.7 million students were chronically absent in the 21-22 school year. Compared to the school year prior to the pandemic, this is a jump of more than 6.5 million students. This is why we're focusing our topic of conversation on absenteeism today. It's an issue that touches every district across the country. In another recent report, a clear connection between absenteeism and academic success was drawn. Absenteeism explains 16 to 27% of overall test score declines in math and 36 to 45% declines in test scores in reading. So absenteeism is on the rise and it's impacting student test scores. Do we know why? This is a moment where data can be a helpful flashlight to shine a light on trends and possible solutions. The Washington Post shared their perspective on this in the summer, this past summer, saying that educators need data that is granular and is collected and reviewed in real time. I would also add to this uh, that another helpful data point are, what are the supports that we're doing for students? What are the interventions that we're doing? Are those interventions and supports working? How do we know and what can we do to improve? We have heard from educators across the country uh, that they need more support for tracking and addressing attendance. In support of that feedback, I wanted to share a little bit about how we at Panorama think about this. The Panorama Student Success Platform has always allowed educators to easily identify students who are missing school. But we recently created and released two new reports. Um, and those reports show intersections between key data points. So the first report shows the intersection of students who have missed school recently and the reason why, the reasons why they're missing school. The other report intersects students who are chronically absent and the supports or interventions that caring adults are giving to that student. At the end of our session today, I'll share a little bit more about how you can connect with us at Panorama to learn a little bit more about these reports and supports that we offer. But for now, I'd love to invite Aspen into the conversation to share her perspective on some of the statistics that I talked about and how this is playing out in Utah. As you can see um, from the headline here, we're seeing very similar trends um, in Utah that we saw at the national that we're seeing at the national level. And Aspen, I'd love to invite you to talk us through what you're experiencing and seeing in Utah. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Uh, yeah, Utah, This the data that we have on here was from two years ago, and we just received our most recent chronic absenteeism data, and it looks the same. So we still have about 26, 27% of our students that are chronically absent throughout the state. And the data is also suggesting that that's affecting certain populations more than others. And 
um, obviously hugely concerning. It's something in Utah that hasn't been prioritized until the past couple of years. And so we're really looking to um, engage with that data to ensure that that's not the trend that continues throughout Utah. And Aspen, what would you say is the role of the state and the Utah State Board of Education in addressing absenteeism, uh, particularly at the school and district level? Yeah, absolutely. So this past year, we were able to pass legislation that allowed for us to identify that attendance needs to be preventative rather than just in that reactive kind of punitive place. So we've been working towards a positive promotion of attendance throughout the state as well as looking at interventions to be ran with students that are struggling to attend. So that's the legislation that you see on the left there. There's also new legislation that's being presented this year as well to help strengthen those efforts. On the right-hand side, you'll see this is an innovative practice report that was completed in conjunction with the legislation and the State Board of Education, which took Utah-specific data and identified strengths in LEAs or specific schools that were excelling, that were outliers in, in attendance and went through the best practices that they were engaging in so that we were able to kind of look at what is actually working in Utah and how do we how do we replicate what that looks like? I think that's something that a lot of folks listening in can can get behind. What would you say is step one in the overall process and what did that look like for you all? Yeah. So one of the things that we noticed as we started kind of digging into work around attendance is that we actually didn't have clear definitions in the state of Utah that they were kind of all over the place. And so being able to have consistent, like good communication around what that looks like and what we're experiencing was something that we needed to engage with. And so we have created kind of mandated attendance definitions to where that's more clear, which then allows for us to code in our in our specific LEAs similarly and be able to look at statewide and LEA wide and then school school in like independent school data that way that allows for us to have statewide conversations that are also in alignment with what's happening nationally. Um, and then the other thing we found is we weren't actually uh, we have positive reporting attendance systems, which meant that if we weren't taking attendance, kids were showing up present. And so really looking at how do we consistently, what data do we have that shows that we're consistently taking um, attendance so that we have the correct numbers. And so that was one of the places that we, we needed to start so that we knew where our deficits and strengths were in our, in our systems. I think that makes a lot of sense. We also know that the family um, connection is a big piece in the attendance puzzle. Um, how do you think about this in the state of Utah? Yeah, so that's something that came up a lot as we started kind of having uh, stakeholder groups and asking questions around this. A lot of both from the family perspective and the school-based perspective was we, we need more communication around this and not communication as far as just shooting out letters to us or sending us an email, but like actual communication around how is this working? Like what does work for us? What questions do we have? What barriers do we have? And, and that, that, that is communication instead of that one-sided like dictation of what should happen. And so this year we've started family and student uh perception surveys on attendance that we're using to help us identify kind of what the strand of deficit we have based on that 
And then also from those, then what is the what are the solutions to these surveys that will also look like communal communication rather than just like a school team um, solving that. So the other piece that we're really looking at is, and we'll talk more about this, but I think in that part of a tier one system in our, at our LEA and school-based level is how, how do we um, ensure that the communication that we're having is, is personal? So, so we don't just get some form, letter, email, but how do we ensure that they're feeling like, nope, we notice you, we see you as a human, we see your child as a human, and we're here to support um, rather than here to kind of dictate. So that's what we're looking at there. So we talked a little bit about standard definitions and engaging families. And uh, you mentioned a little bit about tier one. And we have two amazing resources on the screen for those of us who are watching. And if you're listening in, we'll describe them a little bit in a moment. Um, but can you walk us through how those few steps that you talked about sort of led to these resources that were created? And how are you and how are districts using these? Yeah, absolutely. So we did find as we start again, as we started into this work is a lot of the communication or engagement in the past had been strictly based on um, either what is the consequence of not attending or how do we individualize intervention. But you saw from our data, we have 27 percent of our students that aren't attending. And so running intervention for that many students is nearly impossible. And so we went back to kind of what are our tier one systems um, so this document that you'll see on the left, it's it's very similar to things that you'll see on attendance works and things along those lines. But this helps an LEA or a school go through and identify what are the key components of a solid tier one system? Where are we at on implementing that? And what are our next best steps around that? Rather than just jumping to what do we do? The question I get all the time is, but what do I do for the kid that's not attending? And it's like, well, if 30% of your kids aren't attending, you build your tier one system. So let's go back to that, right? You can't individualize. And then on the right hand side, you'll see kind of a decision making sheet. So schools, we, we have a large amount of LEAs that have Panorama and they were struggling to identify how do we use a Panorama to help build our tier one systems. And so this document here will run you through what's available on Panorama that will allow for you to look at your data at a tier one level. Um, and, and kind of start disaggregating and understanding where your strengths and weaknesses are there. The one part that I that Panorama makes so beneficial is you'll see in the middle of that academics piece, um, which starts saying how many students are attending um, that aren't passing classes. So I hear all the time like, oh, if we can just get a kid here, we can teach them and they'll do well. But sometimes that's not actually true. So that's something that we look at or how many kids are passing that aren't attending. And so being able to quickly disaggregate that data that way is useful. But this this tool allowed for schools to kind of get a broad picture of what is actually, what is the picture of what's happening rather than just the day-to-day -day kind of reaction of what's happening. So. These look great. And you also created uh, attendance tier one and tier two prevention and response matrices. Can you walk us through how these were created, how they're used, and, and who are the primary users of these? Absolutely. So we are actually I'm at a training training these today. So we have we have 12 LEAs going through a year long kind of process. So these are new documents. So I want to be clear if there's typos, no one can judge it. Just fix it, use it, move on. But 
this this stemmed from I I'm big into kind of behavior work and the matrices around intervention and action for behavior. And what I started noticing is um, what we don't have for attendance. So attendance works came up with those kind of four uh, strands of why a student might not be attending or, or, or categories. And those we found incredibly beneficial in Utah as far as, oh, like not every intervention or action will meet that strand. And in fact, some interventions or actions may not like maybe detrimental to that strand. And I think that's very specific in attendance in particular. And what we found is most of the actions and interventions we were using were actually addressing kind of that fourth level, which is that misconception. So we kept saying, oh, did you know attendance is important? And a family actually didn't have transportation. So they're like, yes, thank you. And like, we need some help here. And so we, we, there's, a, there's a survey, and you'll see that linked, that, that allows for us to start disaggregating why a student might be struggling. Um, and I pulled the questions from that survey and matched them to if they answered high on those questions in that survey, this might be the strand that they're struggling with. And then based on the actions, and this this one's actions, and then the one in the bottom right-hand corner is intervention, the actions or interventions that your LEA or your school has chosen, how do those meet the needs of that strand? So, so then we're able to kind of start matching, oh, this action is actually good for this strand, or this action is good for this strand, rather than us just going, oh, this is what we do first, this is what we do next, because sometimes that checkbox is, is not what's best for that and also not personalized. And so this is being used at an LEA level to start defining what those actions and interventions look like. And then a school-based level, obviously, is that that goes through there. And, and really, this is meant to be personalized. So these are ideas that live in here as far as what you could have. Um, today, that's what our LEAs are doing is going through and personalizing um, what they have available and what they're prepared to offer. I love this. And you've made the survey data incredibly actionable and aligned to um, the different strands. And there's another matrix on the next slide here. And I wonder if you might talk us through uh, what we're seeing on this slide. Yep, absolutely. So this piece, uh, what we started noticing as well is in tier one, we have different reasons that that our general population not attending. And we didn't actually know what those were. And so those goes back that this goes back to that family and student survey, which is a tier one survey. We're giving it to all of our students and all of our families and saying, okay, what is what are the biggest reasons that a student either does attend or doesn't attend? And and then looking at, okay, foundational pieces that we know for tier one attendance, attendance policy and procedure. So do our does our attendance policy and procedure meet um, the needs at a tier one level of kind of those four strands um, do our po does our positive promotion of attendance. So rather than just every month saying, oh, make sure that you come if if disengagement or if um, a barrier, that top one barriers, transportation or things like that is is our biggest area tier one in our school. Then our positive promotion of attendance will not only say, yep school is important and here are community-based resources that you can access and here's the here are the places you can do that so we're still even customizing our tier one components to the areas that we know our population may be struggling with um, that way so that that's how that may and again just ideas but this would be an idea like a way for a 
an LEA to start kind of customizing their tier one and then tier two action and, and intervention supports. Wow, Aspen, this is really great stuff. And I'm curious, and I know you mentioned that you're still training folks on, on these matrices and this is still a work in progress as we mentioned um, you know, in the framing of our conversation today, but um, I'm curious if you have a sense of um, how it's going, how you're thinking about measuring progress and what hurdles or anticipated hurdles uh, exist on your, on your path to progress. Yeah, well, for LEAs that have panorama, it's going to be easier. LEAs that don't, it's a lot trickier as far as what that looks like. But um, we did, we just held a training for all our LEAs that have panorama last week to help them fill out that matrice and then also show them how to document that in panorama. The actions on the left under student supports and then the, the intervention, customizing intervention in there. Um, to make sure that we're all entering those interventions in the same way so we can track those in the same way and identify progress and really know one thing i know in behavior and in attendance work is lots of time we engage in intervention but we don't measure the intervention's effectiveness and that's one thing that in the panorama platform it, it i even it even asked did you run it because that happens a lot with intervention as we said we were going to but student was absent or the social skill group didn't happen or things like that so that's if from a statewide perspective, I'm able to see kind of who's running these interventions, who's documenting, and then obviously drill down into the LEA and school specific. And so we've created a, a map, um, that, that a guide for how schools will enter intervention to where we're able to kind of evaluate even from a state level for all users of Panorama, how frequently, who's getting them, why they're getting them, and if they're useful. That's great. And... Lastly, Aspen, I'm thinking back to one of the statistics that I shared earlier today about that connection, that relationship that we're seeing between um, absenteeism and academic achievement. And I'm curious how you think about drawing that connection in Utah. We were able to present to our Ed Interim Committee uh, to inform legislation in the past couple months utilizing Panorama. So this one on the left, you'll see, these are the kids that were att regular attenders. So attending 95% of the time, and you can see what their academics look like. So 38% of the students were struggling academically, had one F um, or U. And then you can kind of see how those percentages went for the kids that were regular attenders. And then same, same school, same students on the right-hand side, the students that attended 80% or less, you can see 95% of them had one F for you. And so really being able to, at a, um, at a school level, um, identify how much does attendance actually affect our students. And, and we also, by the way, did this, we, we matched attendance to SEL, which is one of the big benefits in, in Panorama as well. Like how many students were also struggling to attend that were struggling social emotionally, right? Which is one of those strands identified by attendance works as, as a, an area for us to address. And so that, that's how we're utilizing it currently in Utah as far as digging in and that this also is outlined in that in that first data sheet um, for an LEA or a school to use. So. Aspen, thank you so much for sharing um, your perspective, not only at the state level, but also how you at the state are supporting um, LEAs or districts across the state of Utah. I heard several actionable strategies, including um, defining the data definition. What do, what do we mean when we say this? Getting on the same page about um, what do these different um, 
absence codes mean and when do we use them? Um, collaborating meaningfully with families and having that two-way dialogue. I also heard um, another actionable strategy is using that survey. And I believe all these resources are shared on EdWeb as well. And then taking the time to um, crosswalk that survey and those survey results to um, action, uh, particularly at the tier one level. Um, and I'm grateful for you, Aspen, for, for sharing all of this with us today. And we'll look forward to bringing you back in the conversation during Q&A. But for now, I'd like to um, pass the, the mic over uh, to, to Brian Marks from Boston Public Schools. Um, and I'd love to invite you to share a little bit more um, about BPS. Sure. Thank you so much, Nicole. And uh, thank you so much for having me. So uh, Boston Public Schools, BPS, is actually the oldest school system in the United States, uh, founded in 1647. We have about 49,000 students across 119 schools. Uh, we serve uh, grade ranges from early childhood education through grade 12. Um, certainly, like many urban districts across the country, we were disproportionately um, impacted. Uh, our communities were disproportionately impacted by the pandemic. And we've seen that continue to have residual effects on our attendance. So mirroring what we're seeing on a national level, both in Boston and in Massachusetts, we've seen a huge spike in chronic absenteeism um, since 2020. And we're really at a crisis level. So historically, the uh, Boston Public Schools chronic absenteeism rate tracked in parallel with the state rate, albeit generally um, about twice the rate um, seen across Massachusetts. Since 2020, we've seen the rate in Boston Public Schools basically double. So we went from about 21% in 2020 to 42.2% uh, chronic absenteeism in 2022. Um, at the end of last school year, we did see a decline of about 3%, but we're still way above where we were prior to the pandemic. And a huge focus, one of our three main priorities in the district is re-engaging our students, our families, and communities to make sure that all of our students feel a sense of belonging and they're fully participating in their education. Brian, you also looked at data um, to understand um, how this impacts different groups of students differently. Looking at this um, through an equity lens, can you speak a little bit more about how BPS kept, kept equity top of mind and in focus? Yeah, so we endeavor to have equity be at the forefront of everything that we do. We really value and make it a priority to ensure that we have culturally and linguistically sustaining practices throughout all district activities. Um, as it relates to attendance, we see that some of our historically marginalized student groups um, have higher rates of chronic absenteeism than their peers. Um, among racial and ethnic groups, we see that Latinx and Native American students have the highest rates of chronic absenteeism. Um, again, as we, you know, and historically this trend is consistent as well. So as we look at the increases um, during the pandemic, 
We also saw a disproportionate impact among many of our historically marginalized student groups. Yeah, and I think the next slide continues um, by looking at students who have the, the EcoDIS and students with IEPs. Yeah, so we see that students who are economically disadvantaged, and keep, it mi keep in mind that that's um, surpassing 70% of our all students in Boston public schools, um, but they have a, a significantly higher rate of chronic absenteeism. Um, compared to non-economically disadvantaged students. We see that among English learners, um, particularly current English learners, we have a um, higher rate of chronic absenteeism. Um, it, this is even higher among English learners who also have a, uh, an individualized education plan um, and students with an IEP um, are among, have among the highest rates of chronic absenteeism out of all of the you know, specific priority student groups. And and looking at the individual groups is, is part of the equity strategy that we implement both at the district level and at the school level. And as we talk more about Panorama, that's been a great tool to make sure that schools can see um, across specific student groups where they're having higher levels of absenteeism. Brian, thank you so much for sharing this data and really setting the context. Um, I'd love to, to pivot now to talking a little bit about um, you know, the strategies that you all are using to decrease absenteeism, because um, as I look at this chart, compared to this time last year, um, chronic absenteeism rates have improved across the majority of schools and, and the district overall. 96 schools experienced a reduction in chronic absenteeism. I don't want to steal your thunder on this slide, but can you speak to, to this data a little bit too? Sure. So, and again, some of this data is from in the spring, a lot like a lot of districts um, in BPS, again, historically, as well as last year, we saw an increase in absenteeism in the spring that ultimately impacted the rate um, for the full school year. So we, we did see um, from school year 22, uh, excuse me, 21-22 to 22-23, uh, a reduction of about uh, a little over three percentage points in chronic absenteeism. So that's encouraging. Um, we feel like we're returning to a sense of normalcy. There's certainly hope that as we enter the, the winter months, we'll have uh, less of an impact of COVID in particular, but again, all of the, the residual and um, peripheral impacts as well. Um, so we feel like we're heading in the right direction, but there's a lot of work to be done. And for us, the key is being able to use the tools that we have to better understand the data, um, to do the analysis on the back end so that we're strategic, we really have a, a coherent approach to establishing strategies across all three tiers, but the front-facing approach is all about relationships, engagement, and ensuring that students and families have a sense of belonging, and we're really partnering with students and families in the broader community to create a space in all of our schools where all students want to be. So let's talk about some of the, the work that you've done. So you've looked at the data, you, you've understood uh, what the data is signaling. Um, I understand that you also created some, some guiding principles to help improve school attendance. Can you, can you walk us through how these were developed and, and how you all use these? Sure. So we, what we try to do is iterate. We want to build out a model centrally that schools can leverage, but it's also flexible and in many respects customizable. So based on the specific context and needs of that school, the local context, we can provide guidance support 
advisory um, resources through some of our central office staff and our tools that allow us to help them build out an approach based on their needs in their school community. One of the biggest factors that, or the, the most important strategies that we've implemented this year is ensuring that every school has a school attendance team. And part of the role of the school attendance team is looking at the data on a consistent basis. So they should have a consistent data review cadence, ensuring that they're, that the resources with the support of the school leader, because there needs to be some of that, that top-down direction to really reinforce what the team is, is helping to build, that they're fully used, utilizing the, the capacity of the school to do the outreach, conduct the interventions, to be able to monitor progress, adjust course, increase the frequency or the intensity of interventions, not in terms of um, you know, punitive approach, but in terms of more outreach, more connections with that particular student and family um, to ensure that they're making gains. So establishing the school attendance team and then having a team that can work in conjunction with our what we now call our student success team, sometimes known as a student support team and SST, so that we can refer students who, again, need um, more intensive resources, services, and um, assistance. And having a guiding team that's focused on attendance is critical, particularly in a district like BPS, where we see really high chronic absenteeism overall. We want to make sure that we're mapping relationships. So again, we talk about having a strategic approach behind the scenes, but the front-facing approach is all about relationships, being inclusive, creating a, a sustaining cultural environment for all of our students. But relationship mapping is a strategy that really compels schools to look at each individual student. Now, you can look at uh, across a, a range of different um, gaps, if you will, in terms of where students are. Um, we always want to take an asset-based approach, but you can look at different factors in terms of where there may be opportunity gaps, um, and attendance can be one of them. And you can identify what students, for instance, who are chronically absent, do does that student and or family have a relationship with someone in that school? And can that person be leveraged to, to touch base more consistently? And it doesn't have to be necessarily an hour long meeting every week, but checking in, in the hallway, making a phone call home to the family. If the student is there being really encouraging and making sure they're included with their peers and educators playing a really important role and making sure that students have positive relationships. Um, and it can also be that you might identify a student who doesn't have a connection with an educator in the building. Those students might be the, the ones who are most disconnected from the school environment. So who can you mobilize in the school to start to develop that relationship, whether it's from a cultural background, a linguistic background, we have so many educators who just have that naturally infectious personality that they can really connect with students, but who's gonna be, and it might be based on the, the student's interests or needs, but who's gonna be best positioned to really make a connection with that student? And then really the overarching strategy that is guiding all of our improvement efforts in BPS is our quality school plan in our regional model. And our regional model establishes um, schools, as you can imagine, are organized by regions, and a lot of that has to do with the geographic location as well as the grade bands in that particular school. And there are support staff from central office that align with 
the specific functional areas at the school level. And each school has a quality school plan. And our three uh, priorities are instructional equity, um, uh, culture and climate, and attendance. And that is where schools map out. And then we use a 90-day uh, improvement cycle to establish their goals and their targets. And then um, progress monitor the extent to which they need to change course or, or continue on the path uh, to improvement. Thank you so much, Brian. And like Aspen, who talked um, a little bit about um, some tier one strategies, Boston Public Schools has a tiered attendance system. Can you speak very briefly about um, this system and how it's used? Yeah, so we, uh, we organized um, a, a cross-functional interdepartmental team of folks who we felt like were really innovators. That was a key part of it. Um, we developed an assessment tool that's broken down by tiers. And this is really a consultative, no cost. Sometimes schools mistakenly ask that is there's a cost. And, and, and of course, no, there is not. We're with the central office. We're here to help. Schools take a needs assessment. We look across a range of different factors beyond your traditional attendance interventions, which are critically important, like phone calls, home, home visits, um, attendance, coaching meetings, and so forth. But we also look at the, the school culture and climate, the classroom dynamic, relationships, integrated partnerships, more intensive tier three supports. Um, and we, within a week's time, once a school completes the results summary, we provide uh, a needs assessment document. We also look at other factors in terms of the historical context of the school, the public facing information. And then we have a consultation session with the school team and we have a toolkit associated with this. So every factor or domain within a, within a tier has tools and resources that schools can use to implement. And then we provide some recommendations that we hope are feasible and realistic um, based on their school's capacity. Awesome. Thank you so much. I want to talk a little bit about how Boston Public Schools goes about identifying students who need some of that extra support. Can you speak a little bit about that? Sure. So we prioritize students who are at or below 80% attendance. Um, it is an expectation that each one of those students has a tier three student success plan in Panorama. For students that who are still chronically absent, but they're in the 80 to 90% range, the intervention still should be happening. But we wanna make sure that we are emphasizing quality over quantity in terms of the number of uh, success plans being created in, in Panorama, and that we're really using a high touch um, team-based approach at the tier three level for our students who are missing the most time in school. Thank you so much. And I asked this question of Aspen and I'll ask it to you. How do you all think about measuring progress um, towards your attendance goals? Yeah, so it, we actually, um, the, we make sure that schools are looking at the attendance report in Panorama so they can see longitudinally um, particularly during certain points in the year, we know that absenteeism can, can increase around school vacations, also in the spring, as I mentioned before, um, so that they really understand in, in terms of the overall cadence and, and flow of the school year, uh, where they might, uh, want, they might want to be thinking about additional outreach strategies. Can you have 
um, incentive opportunities, celebrations, recognition events at, at strategic times throughout the school year, but also ensuring that students are really fully engaging in their education. That, that's the whole reason that we do this work. Um, we also supplement this where our supervisors of attendance, um, they look at the chronic absenteeism rate for each one of the schools in their particular region every two weeks so that it ensures that they're able to provide really relevant data in terms of shifts that might happen in a short period of time that might not be readily apparent without that level of progress monitoring. So that really complements um, what schools are seeing in Panorama and, and gives a, an additional lens. Thank you so much. And I'm curious too, how you all, um, you know, and I asked this question of Aspen as well, um, how you relate the work that you're doing around reducing chronic absenteeism to academic impact, overall student well-being and success. How do you link those two things together in your work? Yeah, so this is a this is a great question, and this is actually um, one of our emerging iterations, if you will, um, where we're looking to more effectively use Panorama. So actually, uh, going into this school year, um, every school has an MTSS, uh, multi-tiered system of support coordinator at the school. And part of the uh, MTSS coordinator role is to provide um, real-time relevant summaries of information to school leaders and school teams. And part of that is connecting what's happening academically um, with what's happening uh, in terms of a student's attendance and being able to paint a broader picture of what's happening in terms of potential strategies or opportunities for improvement, but also better understanding what's happening with individual students, because that's where the real work happens, is, is the connections with individual students. I so agree. And you, you talked a little bit earlier about uh, family outreach and relationship mapping. Um, can you talk very briefly about uh, what communication looks like with, with families um, in Boston Public Schools? Sure. So, you know, in general, communication is always something that we're looking to do better and, and improve upon. We never want to rest on our laurels. Um, as it relates to attendance, our philosophy is that sharing data transparently in a non-punitive, non-accusatory way really helps to build awareness and helps to connect um, for students and families how the attendance is impacting um, the a student success in school academically, how it can be an indicator of um, academic success down the road, as well as just having a realistic look at how a particular student's attendance compares to students overall or the goals or um, sort of the best practice level of attendance, which we say is 94% or above. And our nudge attendance letters um, really allow us to have one facet of that, right? We don't want to be just sending letters home and that's it, but it's one facet of taking a more um, family engagement and partnership oriented approach. We're going to move to um, Cecilia from Attendance Works in a moment, but Brian, thank you so much for sharing where you all are at, how you're thinking about this. I heard a lot about understanding the data 
um, understanding students and their relationships and what caring adults they have um, that can be helpful to them. Tier three supports and strategies and MTSS leads who are helping to connect some, some really important dots. Thank you so much. Thank you. Cecilia, I'd love to turn it over to you. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to follow Aspen and Brian and just see the remarkable um, systems and strategies they're implementing. And I just am thankful to be here and share a bit about what we have uh, for our listeners today from the national level about what some of those tiered supports look like that are research-based and effective. Um, so I do um, not want to linger too long on tiered supports. I think we all get the point that prevention is the best strategy and early intervention is second best and we only go to tier three intensive intervention when all else has failed. So this is the Attendance Works uh, framework in which we really see tier one as essential. As Aspen said earlier, if you're seeing those high rates, this is where you wanna double down and make sure all your systems are strong. And then using your data as Brian does so well um, in Boston Public Schools, look for those students who need that early intervention and systematically address um, those needs. And if you need to, we go to tier three when uh, students still need additional support. Um, you'll notice that in the Attendance Works framework, we've uh, um, added foundational supports, um, which are really essential for um, improving conditions for learning. Um, this pandemic has spiked attendance um, issues incredibly. And the solution, as Brian has suggested so wisely, is really relationship-based. So when we talk about improving positive conditions for learning uh, and engaging students so they attend regularly, the relationships are at the center of those positive conditions. And so we need, uh, for those four positive conditions, we need adults in the building who have the capacity and emotional competence to build those relationships and sustain students. We need conditions where students feel physically and emotionally healthy and safe when they come to school. They're more likely to attend when they feel a sense of belonging, connection, and support. And, you know, for the best reason, we know students come to school when they're academically challenged and engaged, and they see that what's happening in the building is relevant and exciting to their futures. So these are foundational pieces that are not so much about an attendance intervention. It's about what makes school a place students want to be. I do want to though showcase some of the um, uh, tier one, tier two, and tier three attendance supports because what Aspen and Brian have done is demonstrate how important it is to understand what is keeping students from coming to school and have the right interventions in place. So we're not just throwing things out, hoping they might work, but it's really based on a solid understanding of individual groups of students and um, uh, uh, entire school systems needs. So at tier one, I'm not going to read through everything for you, but I really think that it's been so important for um, the 
personalized communications to happen and the consistent expectation set about when to come to school and when not to. We have Thanksgiving break coming up and just communicating. I bet Brian's already done this. So, um, but communicating that this is, you know, there's a reason to be here the last day before we break for, for Thanksgiving and using that data and being really smart and communicating about what that is and also letting people know the first day back, right? So the temptation is human. We all want to take that extra day and yet the impact is uh, deep on our students. So recognizing that good and improved attendance um, and making sure that there's that connection to a caring adult in the school for every child. I love the relationship mapping followed up by intentional connections. So these are just some of the tier one pieces. At tier two, it's all about understanding what it is that you're trying to address. What barrier are you removing? And Aspen, I love how you distinguish between the action you need to take to find out what's going on versus the intervention, which actually removes the barrier. And I just want to highlight, um, you know, the importance of ones that make those connections. So family visits and mentoring are two of the ones that I really love in terms of the ones that have the most evidence base, because it not only um, improves attendance, it improves all sorts of other things, including a sense of belonging and academic performance. So those are two key pieces I would uh, put in there. And it doesn't take hours and hours each week, which I know educators don't have. Check-in, check-out is very systematic and it's not you know an hour a day, it's five minutes. Right. So those are all in, um, important pieces. So and at tier three, um, there's a lot that can be done. Love the student success teams, Brian. And those wraparound intentional supports are so key. Um, and everything we do to, before we go to court, before we go to the um, uh, most intensive piece is critical. Um, I do want to offer our um, listeners, some of the free tools on the Attendance Works website. So this year-round planning calendar, for example, um, allows you to lay out what your team will do through the course of a year to address attendance. It lays out your foundational tier one, tier two, tier three supports for each phase of the school year. So um, nothing magic about it. It is a calendar, but the intentionality with which you build your um, interventions and your intervention system is critical. So the last piece I'll um, uh, conclude with so that we have some time for questions is really listening carefully to the perspectives of students and families. Sometimes we're so um, intent on intervention, we don't listen as carefully as we should. and. Let me just give you an example. Families really do have love their children more than we do as educators. And when we listen to them, they tell us things that we don't know. So for example, um, one of the organizations I've worked with, uh, Pique, has surveyed Latino parents um, throughout the course of the um, pandemic and, and after. And we really heard that the, huge concern 
of parents about violence in their communities and why they keep their children home. Um, and that intensity of um, concern really affects attendance. And if we're going to be serious about responding, we have to assure parents, not just with lip service, but with actual uh, actions and responses that make school a safe place for their children. So that's an example of why we need to listen. I just want to offer you some qualitative data tools um, that you may want to use um, to understand the perspectives of families and students. You are all probably familiar with things like empathy interviews and focus groups. So I'll just point out that um, we have a, a scan of environment and attendance tool that helps you take a look at some of the climate issues that may be coming up. And I'm sure there are some wonderful tools um, from our guests um, as well. So whatever you do, take the time to understand why students do or don't attend school, because that's going to be key to finding the right interventions. And I leave you with the attendance playbook. The third edition came out in a collaboration with Future Ed. And these really list um, the interventions and the evidence behind them. So I encourage you to uh, keep up the great work, use um, all our free resources, including things like the guide to the playbook that will help you think through what are the right supports and interventions for your students and families. So with that, I turn it back to you, Nicole. Thank you for having me here. Our first uh, Q&A, our first question is, in regard to early childhood education, how do we approach chronic absenteeism in a calm and understanding way while still expressing the importance of early age attendance and education? Cecilia, is it okay if I direct that one to you? Sure, absolutely. So. Um, I think the important thing is relationship building and helping um, address two things. One is understanding that um, even in the early grades, attendance has a huge impact on how well a child does. So most parents, if you ask them, would say attendance is important. And then if you ask them again, did you know missing two days a month can put your child behind and they might not read of um, proficiently by third grade, most parents would say, yes, I know it's important. And no, I didn't know that I would be putting my child behind. And the other part is just an education piece about what are you really learning in those early years, right? All of us were born in the last century. Well, all, almost all of us on this call. And kindergarten has changed tremendously, as has preschool. So I would say, you know, use some of those resources we have to educate parents and start a real conversation. Thank you, Cecilia. Um, our next question, and I'm hoping to direct to Brian, is um, you mentioned that some students are affected more than others. We talked a little bit about equity. Can you elaborate on this? Sure. Um, so, I mean, we saw disproportionate um, morbidity in um, communities of color uh, and you know we're more than 80 percent of the um, students in BPS identify with communities of color um, 
we saw um, disparate impacts among lower income communities. So in BPS, we have more than 70% of our students are economically disadvantaged. And um, that impacted everything from um, employment to, you know, having um, uh, jobs that were non-existent during the, during the pandemic, food access, um, more constrained um, living spaces. Um, so a whole range of impacts that we saw, technology access, internet access um, <clears throat> during, and, and then I think, you know, we see also, I don't want to speak to the, the data because I don't have it in front of me, but I'll say at least anecdotally, we saw impacts um, from a mental health standpoint um, that were significant and we're still seeing that, um, you know, having that level of isolation, even in a couple of years removed from fully remote instruction, um, you know, people are still getting back to reestablishing and reinvigorating the sense of school community. A lot of the infrastructure we had to build from the ground up almost overnight, um, just making sure that there was a Chromebook available for every student who needed one across the district, making sure that uh, families could access internet. So having, having programs for that, food uh, meal sites, uh, food distribution, we really ramped up our um, housing stabilization services during the pandemic. Um, but I think, you know, urban communities had uh, disproportionate impacts across a range of different factors. Thank you so much, Brian. And last question, and I'm hoping Aspen can help us with this one. Um, it's a question about bias. Um, and the listener asked, how, um, what types of professional learning can you suggest for educators to examine their biases about families with students who are chronically absent? And we have one minute left, and that is a big question in 30 seconds, Aspen, but I know you can do it. <laughs> that is a big question. I, I think it goes back to, I, I mean, I think obviously there's very clear training around examining bias, and I would say make sure that you're you're looking at that training and, and doing that very carefully. Um, I don't know that that can be answered in 30 seconds because that, that's a whole system in and of itself. And so making sure that you're engaging in kind of, I think that goes back to Cecilia's piece of foundational components. I think trauma-informed practices, I think equity-based lenses, I think restorative practice-based practices, those are all foundational pieces that have to be in place prior to starting to engage in professional learning um, that's my quick answer, Nicole. Was that good? You did wonderfully. Well, folks, we are just about at time. Please join me in thanking our amazing, amazing panelists, Aspen, Brian, and Cecilia. Thank you all so much. We hope you enjoyed this EdWeb podcast. If you'd like to receive a CE certificate, you must watch the video recording. Recordings and quizzes can be found in the EdWebinar archives. Please visit home dot edweb dot net slash podcasts for more information.